Hey y'all, it's me, Faye. Just wanted to talk to you before we get into the next episode of Legally Lost the Podcast. Please make sure that you leave a comment and share this podcast with other law students and future lawyers alike, as well as follow us on Instagram at legally lost underscore. Again, that's legally lost underscore on Instagram. And let's just get right into this new episode. All right, bye. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Legally Lost, the podcast. I think we're on episode three, four. I don't know. Um, But I appreciate you guys for logging in. Today, we have a special guest. We have Dakai Baxter. I'm going to let you guys get um, familiar with her and get to know her. And she's going to introduce more of herself. Uh, But this is going to be a great episode learning more about being in law school in the eyes of the pandemic um but just handling it and just going through it especially from a one else perspective so i'm gonna pass it over to you (laughs) hey um like she said my name is dakaya baxter i am a 1l at university of south carolina school of law Um, And I am gladly at home uh, after wrapping up my first semester of law school. It has been quite a journey, um, particularly because of this pandemic and particularly because um, the law school that I attend is a predominantly white institution and I graduated from a historically black college. So that has been a bit of a transition for me, but it's also been a great uh, learning experience. Absolutely. Now, Now, you touched on that, that you went to an HBCU. What HBCU did you go to? I went to Spelman College. Okay, perfect. So, definitely a huge huge change and definitely probably even a culture shock. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's just start back where you first even applied to USC. Um, What was your journey like for that? So, um, I'm originally from South Carolina, um, and my mother went to USC for undergrad, and she had a roommate um, who attended USC Law. So, when I first told my mom that I wanted to go to law school, this was years ago, at the beginning of my journey, I was probably about 12 years old. Um, I did all the, you know, the school activities, the mock trial and things like that, public speaking. But when it was time for me to apply to schools, um, it was easy to kind of get sucked into the, you know, I went to Spelman, I went to a top HBCU, I kind of want to keep going with like, you know, the top law schools, and I want Mm -hmm. to, you know, make sure that I'm making my mark and like, what looks good on my resume will launch me further. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had planned to apply to a bunch of law schools, um, but I actually only ended up applying to USC Law. Um, so, Why? Yeah, that's fairly different. Mostly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people usually apply to you know at, at least like three to four schools. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a great experience. I had a great connection with the director or dean of admissions there. Um, I had met her when I went to a law school um, like road show. Um, that they have for all the law schools. I was in DC interning at the time. 
Mm. So um, I met her there and it was funny because there wasn't, there was barely anybody at the table. Um, mostly because DC is kind of like that hub where a lot of people, you know, a lot of the interns come for the summer and they're looking for the, the top law schools. They're lining up for the Harvard, the Yale, the Princeton, the Vanderbilt, things like that. But mm -hmm. there was barely anyone at the USC law table. Um, but I went over there just because, you know, it's close to home. And that was something that was now becoming one of my priorities. Um, when it came to looking for law schools and when it came to building my network. Mm -hmm. So I chose USC law mostly because my interaction with her um, at the uh, law school fair was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. She was really, you know, in tune with, you know, Spelman college and she was, um, she had a lot of connections with the black law students association um, at USC Law, and she, you know, gave me a fee waiver, and she was really attentive to the things that I was telling her about my experience, and, um, you know, like, I obviously, you know, stood out to her because it was, you know, a lot of Black students in particular uh, don't apply to USC Law, right? Um, and the population ends up being fairly small, so having, you know, a woman that comes from um, a top HBCU institution as well as like is there in DC for the summer because she's, you know, interning on the Hill is a great, you know, um, selling point when it comes to, you know, years down the line telling uh, alumni stories to future applicants. Um, right. So from there, it was a great process. Um, and I, I say great kind of loosely. <laughs> Um, because I was one of the COVID applicants. So um, I first started my application. I took the LSAT the first time. Um, well, I, my journey with the LSAT is even wild. So I planned to take the LSAT in November of 2019. My LSAT ended up getting canceled. So I had to reschedule it for January 2020. Um, mm. I didn't like the score that I got for the first time. Um in January. So I rescheduled it for March, but COVID had hit by March. <laughs> yep. So yep. when COVID hit, um, they canceled the LSAT and they were trying to figure out how they were going to administer it, how they were going to do virtual, how all of that was going to work. So I ended up um, applying to USC law in May, actually. So I took the LSAT, they had rescheduled the LSAT, I think for May 17th, something like that. I remember being after my birthday, soon after my birthday. So mm -hmm. I took it in May. Um, I ended up getting the same score that I got the first time. And I was like, okay, well, I definitely could have applied with this. Right. And <laughs> probably gotten more scholarship money had I been on the earlier end of the application cycle. Um, but it still ended up working out in my favor. Um, and it's been a really great experience so far. Um, so yeah. Good. That is a lot. You did have a crazy ride yeah. to, <laughs> to law school, but I bet it was even crazier in law school. So talk about that. But orientation, was it in person or virtual? So we had an in-person orientation. Um, so how orientation works, and I'm pretty sure this is pretty universal for every law school. So really how orientation works is 
before like you come in, you kind of get you get placed in probably some Facebook group um, once you get your acceptance letter and you're in that group like with your class and you can, you know, find people that um, are looking for roommates if you're relocating from a different state and kind of things like that. And you can kind of and I, I especially looked for it when it was time for me to buy my books <laughs> um, yeah. and supplements and things like that. So that's also a really great tip looking for other students because um, it was. For me, I'm the person that's like, oh, I want everything to be new. I want everything to be new. I don't want anybody to have anything that I previously had or mm-hmm. something like that. But uh, law school is expensive. <laughs> law school <laughs> books are expensive. Um, and you'll never use them again, mm. like ever again, which is why it ends up being, you know, recycled over and over again um, until there's a new edition of the book and you're required to get that new edition. So whoever has to get that has to bite the bullet for everybody else who comes after. Um, but, um, but my orientation process in particular, um, it was in person and, but we were in different groups. So they put us in, I think like three different groups, A, B, and C, and each person's, each group's, um, each group has a different time session for their orientation. So mm-hmm. I was group B, I believe. So my orientation started at 10.30. Or actually, no, I think I was group A. My orientation started at 9. But I think it was like 9.30, 10.30, and 12. Um, so it was just broken up like that. And they told us, you know, just about how the law school works. They went through, like, the grading process. Um, and we actually had a mock class during orientation to kind of get used to, you know, this is what a class is going to be like. Here's how to take some notes. Here's how to study. And then the next day we had a practice exam. Wow. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. So it was, it was very fast paced, um, but it wasn't graded. It wasn't like a real exam, but it was just to kind of give us an idea of uh, think questions we we may be asked, um, how to make certain arguments and things like that. And honestly, okay. if I were to look back on it, I'd be like, "What were you writing?" <laughs> um, <but laughs> I think overall, you know, my orientation experience was really good. Um, I actually ended up um, meeting up with another Spelman alum who had graduated 2018. Um, so she's also okay. in my class. Um, and she's in my particular section as well. So we have our actual professors together. Um, and she, I, and another um, girl who went to um, USC Upstate for undergrad, we're all really close. We have been each other's rock this entire semester. Um, that's, nice. that's been pretty great. So I'll say orientation brought out, you know, some good things and some also kind of like, Oh wow, we're in this now. <laughs> yeah. Kind of so. so have you have you at this point have you met your whole class? Um, not in person, no. So our class in particular um, mm-hmm. is about I want to say it's two hundred and twenty of us, and then you're broken up into they broke us up into five sections instead of typically it's three sections. Wow. So, and it's it's really weird. So the way it is now is because we're split virtual and in person. My in person classes have thirty five people, 
and my one online class has 70 people. So that one online yeah. class is like a combination of two sections that they put together. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. So how was 1L year with it being hybrid? It sounds mm-hmm. like you were in a hybrid uh, schedule. So how was your 1L year um, in, that, in that setting? So I think it was good. Um, I'll, I mean, I can do updates once I get my grades back. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Please. But, um, we don't get our grades until January. So it's all Christmas break, just like, oh, you know, everything's fine. Everybody at the family functions are like, you know, um, the family doing? Zoom calls are like, oh, how's law school? I'm like, I have no idea. Um, right, just vibing. I mean, I'm just vibing <laughs> at this point. I I will go in and I'll have my first day of class for the next semester, and I still won't know what my grades are. So we'll see um, if I made a huge mistake or if I'm meant to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, but I think, I mean, overall, like, I can't see myself doing anything else. So it would really just be, you know, if I didn't do as well as I thought, um, and we can talk about the curve in a, in a minute. But if I didn't mm-hmm. do as well as I thought I did, I mean, I still have the opportunity to do better um, next semester. And then, you know, if I just grind it out, I'll be fine. Right. I mean, a little bit of networking yeah. comes into play as well. I've, I've heard there can be great, the smartest scholars, yep. but can't open their, mouth, their mouths or network to save their yeah. lives. So, um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, they're brilliant, brilliant. minds for sure. But um, yeah, there's there are those who cannot network. So I I believe you'll be fine regardless. But yeah, I can see how that's a little stressful. Mm-hmm. Just holiday cheer and right. vibes, and then you just <laughs> waiting for your for those right. grades. Um, crazy, wild. Okay, so what were you involved in during your one L? Well, this. Thus, thus far, I assume not too much because they say you yeah, can't so be Like what? It's kind of funny because I'm I'm the person that <laughs> I follow my own path. Um, and if something works for me, like it will always work out. If it's meant for me to do something, then I will be able to handle it, and that'll just be what it'll be. So I was mm-hmm. obviously involved in Bolsa. Um, so whenever we had, you know virtual panels or we had um, we had a couple of events that we partnered with a couple of law firms and we had some discussions about 1L year and just some tips for interviewing and resume tips and things like that. So I was always going to those. Um, we just had a volunteering uh, opportunity, but I'm not in town right now, so I wasn't able to participate in that. But I mean, obviously, um, I'm still actively a part of the Black Law Student Association, and I'm also um, one of the Honor Council representatives. So, yeah, so that was um, honestly okay. So that process was actually pretty. It was pretty fun. It was also kind of a uh, get getting back at some people type of thing. Uh, what do you mean? What, what what was your position? So in um so I'm I'm a part of Honor Council. So Honor Council is like an executive board, but they have 
um, 1L, 2L, and 3L representatives within that board. So the Honor Council is basically there to ensure that, you know, um, students aren't cheating on their exams or they're not sharing information or they're not breaking the honor code. So each school mm. um, has a different honor code. And it's usually pretty much the same. Like, you know, obviously you're about to be a lawyer, so you shouldn't be breaking the law on an active basis. <laughs> you should be, you know, upholding a good community standard. Right. Um, so one of the first things that we kind of had issues with was people breaking, you know, the rules regarding COVID, like early in the year. So, mm. you know, it was just... Dealing with that wasn't really a huge part of my job just because we were just 1L representatives. So we didn't, we weren't on like the hearing panels or anything like that um, for the first semester, but we have to run again second semester. So that'll be interesting. Um, I'm going to try <laughs> to see how much I can change it up, but um but yeah, I think overall, like those, those have been the only things that I've been active in and they tell you not to do anything your first year. And that's really good advice because mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do um, anything else. And they, they honestly don't even allow you to. So as a 1L, it's very limited to the things that you can do. Um, so like being on honor council and being on the student bar association um, as a representative is really the only two things you can do. A lot gotcha. of the other organizations, there's other like affiliate groups. So I'm a part of um, um, one of them is similar to like um, FCA, but like for the law school. So it's mm -hmm. the um, the Christian organization that's on campus. I'm a part of that. Um, and then obviously there's some that are, you know, focused on different legal paths. So a lot of people that are passionate mm -hmm. about pro bono work can do work with the pro bono office. Um, and I mean, obviously you have to do that regardless of whatever field you decide to enter into. So that'll probably be something I get more involved in um, as time goes through and as I have more time. But this first semester, I was like, I have to solidify my grades, um, but I'll catch y'all later. <laughs> right. As you should, as you should, literally. Um, okay, that's that sounds good. I think that's very important to be able to have a balanced set of um extracurriculars, but also mm -hmm. studying um and focusing on your grades, especially as a one L. Um let's see. Oh, this might be the last question we could get to. Um, but I am curious to hear what was your thoughts coming from an HBCU spellman at that, uh the number one HBCU um, and then going to a predominantly white institution. How was that transition for you? Um, I think overall it wasn't as much of a culture shock as I as most people would think um, and that's probably because I went to predominantly white institutions before I went to Spelman. So, I mean, I obviously went to like predominantly white high school, middle school, elementary school. That was my upbringing. Right. So I was used to, it was honestly more of a transition of being around my own people when it came to going to an HBCU than it been to, mm -hmm. you know, transition from had I gone to a predominantly white college to a predominantly white law school. Um, but I think I... 
have learned a lot about myself from going to an HBCU and it's given me a lot more confidence um, to do what I need to do when it comes to performing at a predominantly white institution. Um, Like I realized that even though people may not say things or look at me a certain way that, you know, me running for something, me being one of the only black female, the only black female to run for honor council is huge and to win at that and it's just like you know and there were other there were two other um black females who ran for student bar association and they got it so it's like we are taking up space and we're making it known and i think you know, but I don't think either one of them went to um, a historically black college. But I think, you know, me coming from like an HBCU education has really made me realize that I have a lot to offer. And if I don't put myself out there, nobody will ever know. And that's even, you know, something that I'm struggling with when it comes to doing, you know, these law school, these um, summer associateship applications. Because Mm. I'm having to be like, you know, oh, I'm the black girl that's going to add some diversity to your firm. Let me tell you all these great, you know, qualities that black women have and like try to resell myself because I'm like, well, you should just know. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I'm not saying it like personally, like for my own qualities, but it's like, at this point, if you're not hiring black women, you're on the losing side. <laughs> right. So um, what are you doing? Especially right. in this climate. So, and I'm and I mean, I'm applying through like their diversity program. So a lot of these firms realize, yeah, we need women and we need women of color and we need black women. Um, so they are realizing that, but I think one of my one of the toughest things that you know I had to realize was Now I have to resell myself. I have to be like, I have to hone in on, you know, this is what black women have to offer. And like, I've been through this and I've been through that. And like these experiences have made me, you know, resilient and they've made me, you know, a person that can be an advocate for clients and, you know, trying to, it feels like overselling it to me, but to them Mm. it's like, Mm. okay, what makes you so different? And they need to see that and they need you, they need to hear you say it. Um, So I think I'm trying to rebuild the confidence um, that I Mm -hmm. had when I was at Spelman because it was like, oh, you can't, you can't tell me nothing. Like, 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 (laughs) when I got into Spelman, oh, it was over. Like, it was over. (laughs) I told people, like, people were like, Oh hi, I'm so and so. How are you? I'm like hi, I'm Dakaya. I go to Spelman. Like it was the first thing that came yep. out of my mouth. So I was so excited to be a part of the Black Girl Magic, and now I have to like show other people what that Black Girl Magic is because they have no idea, and I keep forgetting that people have no idea mm. what HBCUs are. Some people have no idea what Spelman is. Some people are like, yeah. who's Stacey Abrams? Oh, Harris? we didn't know about her until yeah. she was Joe Biden's whatchamacallit. Like, and you're just like, what? <laughs> so I had, to, right. you know, like I said, resell myself um, 
and you know remember what my worth is like it seems Mm. especially with these big law firms you hear the names you know like all over the world and you're like oh my god like they're such a great firm and you're like you feel as if you could never be there but you're like if there's too many people that think that there's not going to be enough people that try it Mm. and yeah, and that's and that's one thing that I've really had to do because I'm like, if I'm the only person in the room, I'll be the only person in the room. And I will gladly yep. open up the door for somebody else to come in the room who looks just like me. Yes, I love it. And I definitely want to do more and get more um, conversations about diversity, but specifically being an African-American mm-hmm. woman because there's mm-hmm. only 2% of us mm-hmm. in this legal field. Uh, which is crazy because there's a lot of us mm-hmm. in law school. Um, but that's another discussion <laughs> for another day. But it's quite interesting um, to see that, though. But definitely, I can. I didn't go to a, a HBCU. I went to a PWI. But I can say I'm from Atlanta, and Spelman was mm-hmm. all you heard about. Um, and it's like you guys had a different clearly when you walk in the room we knew like everybody knows um and so to not or to transition and have that same confidence in a right. white space that has no clue what a spell what right. spellman is um is one thing but especially with the law firms like you're saying who also don't have right. any clue uh, but yet have this diversity um outlet to allow more of us to be a part of the firm it would it would behoove them to right. even do some research about who what you're trying to get um but i think that's really interesting and I will for say, sure um, um to also piggyback off that a little bit i think it's really important for firms particularly large firms um who don't do ocis at every school um, and I'm not saying like firms should start, you know, reaching out to every law school in the country because, you know, they they have their reasons why they reach out to schools because a lot right. of their, you know, a lot of their partners and a lot of their associates come from those schools. So they're just, you know, trying mm-hmm. to not reinvent the wheel. But I think when it comes to seeking out diversity, you have to look at schools at law schools who seek out diversity as well. Um, and you have to be like, okay, yeah, we usually target the Harvard, the Princeton, the NYU, the, the top schools, but only 5% of their student population is black, of their law school student population is black. And right. we have numbers we want to hit. If we want 10%, 15% of our um, firm population to be black, we should be looking at schools that make that a priority. And right. I think law schools will start to it's, be like, right. okay, maybe we, we should start going to the HBCUs. Maybe we should start, you know, and a lot of them do. I'm not saying like none of them do, but I think, you know, and law, law schools are starting to learn, okay, there's more than just grades here. Like we want people that are mm-hmm. going to make a long lasting impact on the world and we'll be glad to say they went to USC law. We'll be glad to say they 
Harvard Law. We'll be glad to say they went to Princeton because as we're seeing in the news, just because you have the money and the connections to go to UCLA or Harvard or Princeton or whatever doesn't mean that you have the the it doesn't mean you have necessarily like all the skills that you would need to go make a long lasting impact on the world. And I think a lot of right. and a lot of firms are realizing if we want to have a global impact. And I actually said this in one of my diversity statements, so I'm, I'm kind of reiterating that. But a lot of firms are realizing <laughs> if we want to make an impact on the world, we have to look like the world. We can't just show up on a meeting with, you know, an Asian client with all white males at the table. We can't right. have a connection with um, India. We can't have a connection with um, any country in Africa and not have Africa represented at your table. Like you, like what do you mm. have to offer me? It just sounds like you're saying a lot of numbers, but you're not going to guarantee that we get our side of the deal. I don't see the genuineness, and it mm. kind of reminds mm. me of. I'm kind of going on a tangent, but it kind of reminds me of you know when <laughs> Beyonce was about to collaborate with um, a big company when it came to Ivy Park, and all the models they brought in were tall, skinny, and not of color. And she was like, yep. Do y'all even know me? Like, of all that, like, she, <laughs> and she was just, she walked out. Like, she was like, I'm not about to do this, so I'm going to launch it on my own. Like, I'm not about to have a connection with a company that doesn't even recognize me or doesn't see the value mm. and only sees marketable one type of person. And I think, you know, right. that's what I'm trying to bring out in my applications because I'm like, you know, I'm marketable as a black woman in this field because more black women, women of color, women in general are entering this field. And they don't want to see yep. um, a predominantly male, predominantly white field either. So as they grow mm. in their mm. positions and they become, you know, second year associates, third year associates, senior partners, junior partners, things like that, they're like, okay, now this company has to represent me. And I don't right. see it representing me right now. So I think, mm. you know, that's that's one thing that I feel like the, the legal profession is starting to recognize. Um the need for diversity. And I pray that, you know, this influx of people of color and women isn't just a phase and it's not just for the looks mm. and it's not just, you know, to say that they did something. I hope that, you know, these women that they are placing in these positions and these person, these people of color, men of color that they're putting in these positions, you know, do realize they have an impact as well. And it is now their job to be the gatekeeper and open up doors for other people that look like them who 
may mm. come from worse or may come from better or, you know, can just make a long lasting impact on the profession. I think that should be, you know, the overall goal. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes to all. You preaching, sis. Love, literally love it. And I just don't understand, like, put that in an application, you'll be set. <laughs> right. You need me. I don't need you. Just but, but yes, I do. And I think it's, I think it's more so, I, we definitely need that law school is definitely needed to go and target HBCU students. But I think as a whole, African-American mm-hmm. students, period. Like, we do not know nope. where to start. A lot of us don't even know about the LSAT crazy enough. Don't even know. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's a strategic game. And I don't think Mm -hmm. we know the the game. Nor do we want to play it. That's another thing. We have to play the game unfortunately to change the game. And that's to some that might be some beings like submissive, submitting ourselves to this whole process. But I think overall in order for us yeah. to change it and, and it's funny we're because, gonna have you know, to play that game coming from hbcu you have that mentality that reverses that thinking of like i have a lot to offer you should be seeking me i should just be able to be there and like have all my credentials and you hire me period but i think hmm But I think like we have to realize, okay, even though we've had this relatively short-lived time in our lives that we were placed as a priority as Black students um, at our HBCU, now we are going back into the world (laughs) that doesn't doesn't look like us. Yes. Um, And we have to play the game again. And that's fine because I think Right. And I think, or learning. you know, it helps us raise a better generation after us because, mm-hmm. you know, our parents mm-hmm. and our parents' parents didn't even know about the game. They didn't realize. And mm-hmm. honestly, it was just, you know, particularly my grandparents, it was like, oh, if you're black, we don't care if you qualify. You're not getting it. So we, we've, we've wow. gone from yeah. that to okay, yeah, like, now we like you, now we're targeting you, now we want you, but, like, what else do you bring? Now Now it's not enough <laughs> to, to just be Black. Mm-hmm. You have to be Black and great at being Black. Like, you have to be the exception yep. to all the Blackness that we think is the bad Blackness. Um, and I think, you know, mm-hmm. as as we evolve and as we grow, that will change because our kids and our kids' kids will start to mesh and we'll all start to be like, okay, this doesn't make sense for me to discriminate against people because of how they look or who they love or where they come from, or that doesn't even make sense. Like that has nothing to do with me. And I think we're raising this next generation mm-hmm. of, you know, my, the mind your business generation. <laughs> Of the, it doesn't affect me. <laughs> this has nothing to do with me. So why am I judging them? So I mean, mm-hmm. as as we grow and evolve, I think like the legal profession will will catch up. Um, I think still significantly behind really? uh, some of the other. Oh, I mean, if you think about it, even the laws that we are having to enforce are not even caught up. 
So it's like, how do you Mm -hmm. even, how do you push the profession forward if the laws themselves are not being moved? Um, And especially state laws, because I mean, like, obviously national laws have like legalized a lot of things and like things like that. But I think, you know, when you take the bar, you take it for a state. You don't take a national bar. True. Like for the, for the national right. laws, you take it for the state laws, and now they have like the UAB, and that's a whole other thing. But um, you're taking it for that specific state, and you're practicing in that specific state based on their laws. So regardless of whether you think something is right or wrong or whatever, you have to argue whatever law is at stake. Um, but I mean, obviously. Yep you know, as Black people, as, you know, HBCU graduates, as Black law students, we realize, okay, I can be successful in this field and have a global impact. Like, I can take, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do well, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to get promoted and, like, do all, do great at my firm or whatever, but my pro bono hours are going towards, you know, affecting mass mass incarceration. My Verona hours are going towards, you Mm -hmm. know, making sure that kids in low-income neighborhoods are getting the same education as kids in higher-income neighborhoods. Like, it's about, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you're giving back as much as you're taking, really. And and that's one of my main goals. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah... I want to go into corporate law. I want to be in a big firm. I want to make a lot of money and I want to affect change in the world on a global scale. But that Mm. comes with a big responsibility of, okay, now I have a lot of money. I want to help some people. I want to give scholarships. I want to help people stay in school. I want to help, you know, donate to, um, to local schools for, for teachers who have to go out of their own pockets to pay for school supplies. That's not fair. I want to be able to affect that. Mm -hmm. I want to be on national boards that, you know, um, affect education, that affect our environment, that affect, you know, a lot of the things that we are facing as a nation. And I think a lot of that, it's easy for the legal profession to just be like a work, work, work. And you work on like the thing that you're assigned and like you just sit back, shut up, you get your money and you you do what you're supposed to do. And I love how Mm -hmm. it is. It's always been like this, but I think it's transforming into very heavy pro bono based, very heavy. How impact the community? Because Mm -hmm. we just had a billion dollar deal. One of the billion dollar deals of the day, and we haven't even donated a billion to whatever. How can we change that? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, having students, having people of color at that table can, you know, have that impact on that long-term effect of, okay, now we've made all this like money as a law firm, but we have schools that are right down the street from us that, you know, their kids are at home virtual and they don't have what they need. How can how can we ensure that mm-hmm. the students in, um, if I'm working at a firm in New York, have food? Because now, if they relied on food um, at school, they're not getting that anymore. How can we fix that? So I think, you know, as mm-hmm. as we evolve, obviously issues of the world 
um, are going to evolve as well. But I think as long as we move with those, that the legal profession will will be fine and it will, you know, have the impact it's supposed to and it will do justice as it's as it's set out to do. Absolutely. Well, I do not want to hold you up, but it is always a great time speaking with you. Always dropping gems. It's amazing. I have to bring you back just to even just to open up some more can yes, of worms. And I will definitely, else. I'll definitely come back for the update, <laughs> especially if I um, get one of these summer associateship positions and I, I can go through that and Please I am do. here for it. Please do. Please do. Please do. Please do. Again, thank you so yes, much. Yes, I'm on Instagram at Kaya Nicole, um, K-I-A-H period um, N-I-K-O-L-E. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Dekaya Baxter, D-E-K-I-A-H, B-A-X-T-E-R. Um, and those, those are the best places to reach me. <laughs> Feel free to DM me, Perfect. whatever, <laughs> if you have questions um, about the law school process. I am here to help. And also, um, if you don't mind, I kind of have my own little service that I want to drop as well. Um so please, I think please, probably please. starting 2021, um, I'm probably going to officially launch my own service where I'll be um, looking over personal statements. I'll be looking over resumes for students who are applying um, to law school. I'll look over your entire application um, and also do like one-on-one sessions um, and things like that and provide like tips for your first year and all of that. Perfect. So y'all please look out for that. And I'll make sure you guys all know when she drops it um, and share it because that is so helpful um, and beneficial. And we appreciate you. So keep us updated Thank with that. Thank you so as much well. for having me. Perfect. Thank you. And everybody again, follow me at legally lost underscore. That's on Instagram. Um and We'll see you soon. Talk to you soon for our next episode. Thank you.